1847, there was a Hungarian doctor named Ignaz Semmelweis, which was on our list of baby names, but we decided to go with Everly instead. Jessica had a strong opinion about that for some reason. I liked Ignaz personally. Uh, But this doctor was in charge of this hospital in Vienna uh, when something tragic began to take place. Uh, Women who were coming there to deliver were dying at extremely high rates. Uh, In fact, there was a time in the mid-1800s in Vienna where it was safer for a woman to deliver her child in her home than to come to Dr. Simmelweis's hospital. And so obviously he was perplexed and began to pay careful attention to all the procedures. He began to pay attention to these women when they got very sick, and he compared what they were doing at his hospital with what they were doing in other hospitals in the region. And then one day he had this aha moment when one of his doctors, a friend of his, cut his finger with a scalpel during an autopsy, And he got progressively sick, and then he passed away. But what Dr. Simmelweis noticed as his friend got increasingly ill was that the symptoms that he was demonstrating were strikingly similar to the symptoms that the women who were passing away were also demonstrating. And then it hit him. There was a connection between what was happening in the autopsy rooms in this hospital and what was happening in the delivery rooms in this hospital. And so he changed protocol for the entire hospital. And one of the biggest changes in protocol was that after a doctor had conducted an autopsy, they had to now wash their hands before they went to any other room in the hospital, including a delivery room. And that one change completely changed that hospital. Dr. Simmelweis's hospital then became one of the safest places in all of Vienna to deliver a child. It would be a few years later after his death that other doctors and scientists would build on his discoveries. And in 1865, there would now be a theory that we now know as the germ theory that would completely change the landscape of medicine and the world forever. This one medical breakthrough happened because one person was willing to acknowledge an unseen reality. Lives were changed forever and impacted forever, including yours and mine, because one person was willing to acknowledge a reality that they could not see. And if I were to sum up one of the main things that Paul is trying to say in our passage that Adam read for us this morning in Romans 8, one of the main things that he's trying to help believers at Rome do is to acknowledge a reality that they cannot see. And the name of that unseen reality is the Holy Spirit. For seven chapters now, Paul has been laying out this argument that if I were to sum it up in one sentence, it would be simply this, God is faithful. God is faithful to God's promises. God is faithful in the person and work of Jesus Christ. God has dealt with sin and death through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. God has created a new reality because of the work and faithfulness of Jesus Christ. And because of this faithfulness of God, There is now a new reality for those 
who are in Christ. And chapter 8 begins to describe a little bit about this new reality. It's this new reality that those who are in Christ are now free from sin and death. Our life operates by a different reality and a different animating force. And the name of that reality and animating force for Paul is the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God lives and dwells and animates those who are in Christ. The Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead is the same Spirit that now lives and moves in believers who are in Christ. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, is this unseen reality, this animating force, this powerful personality that is to shape our lives. Not just believers in Rome, but also believers in Lebanon, Tennessee. This is this unseen reality that Paul wants us to embrace. And the significant step for Paul, for believers to embrace this new reality, boils down to an issue of mindset. Now, I intentionally use the word mindset because this is a a really important concept for Paul. And we see how important it is throughout Paul's writings, but there's a couple of verses in our passage this morning that draw particular attention to this importance for Paul concerning mindset. He says in verses 5 and 6, For those living according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those living according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. To set your mind on the flesh is death. To set your mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Now, Paul uses two words in these two verses that are really important for us to pay attention to because they're words that are related to each other. They come from the same root word. In verse 5, there's a verb that Paul uses, an action word, that basically means to set one's mind upon. That's why I picked our translation for this morning. But it can also be translated to set one's intention. And what's fascinating about this word is it gets used 26 times throughout the entire New Testament. 23 of those 26 times, Paul uses this word, this verb. Why? Because mindset, what we set our minds upon, is extremely important to Paul. And then in the very next verse, verse 6, a a relative of this verb, this noun he uses, which basically describes the the place of intellectual activity, uh, the way of our thinking. And this word gets used four times in the entire New Testament, and all four times it's used here in Romans 8. Now, taken together, these two words and these two verses present this really powerful concept for Paul. That Paul is describing a person who has their mind oriented in a certain way, but it's a lot more than just our intellectual activity. It's also about a person's will, uh, the orientation of a person, the heart direction of a person. This is why I I really like the translation that was read for us this morning. While some translations put the word governed 
Because it's this idea of it's a person whose entire life is guided and operating around certain principles and priorities. And for Paul, this isn't a generic concept. This isn't just some generic way of thinking. But Paul is very specific in the ways in which he wants believers to set their minds on certain things specifically. He wants believers, he wants you and me to set our minds on the things of the Spirit. The Spirit for Paul is to be our operating principle. The Spirit for Paul is to be our north star. The grooves of our mind for Paul are to be shaped by the grooves of the Spirit. Now, I intentionally use the word grooves this morning because of a study that we were taught about last weekend at our GPS retreat. Last weekend, our speaker was a guy by the name of Dave Morgan. He's a therapist and a professor at Lipscomb University. And because of his work, he is constantly exposed to all kinds of different studies and the latest research done by psychologists. And one of the pieces of research that recently came out that he shared with us was was a study done by cognitive psychologists. Psychologists who focused primarily on our minds and on our mindset. And this were the results of the study. There were three big results that he shared with our group last weekend from these, the research of these cognitive psychologists. Number one, they estimate that the average person has, on average, 60,000 thoughts a day. That's insight number one. Insight number two, of those 60,000 thoughts, they estimate that 95% of our thoughts are from the day before. So the majority of our thoughts are habitual in nature. Uh, We think them without even thinking about it. But thirdly, and most interestingly, they estimate that of that 95%, of those habitual thoughts that we think day in and day out without even paying attention, that 80% of those are negative in nature. Now, some of you may want to raise your hands and have some people in your life you think that percentage is a bit higher. But on average, 80% of those 95% of habitual thoughts are negative in nature. In other words, our minds by default, gravitate towards negative and critical thinking. That the majority of our thoughts, no pun intended, we don't put much thought into. Or to use the language of Paul, our default ways of thinking easily gravitate towards sin and death. And so these words of Paul become so much more important for us to remember that we have to be intentional and thoughtful about setting our minds on the things of the Spirit. Mindset is so important for Paul. And here's why. Because Paul knows something that we often forget. And that is simply the way we think shapes the way that we live. Our mindset makes a big difference in the kinds of lives that we live. In April of 2006, 
Stanford professor, Dr. Aaliyah Crum, did a set of experiments on mindset. And this was her experiment. This is her specialty of research. She took 84 women who are hotel workers in New York City, and she conducted the following experiment with them. She asked this one question. What would change in these women if they thought differently about their job? And the specific focus of her experiment was on the health of these women because these women, by and large, were unhealthy. They were overweight, high blood pressure, etc., etc. They did not have extra time in their day to work out. They would work all day, they would go home to their families, and they would wake up and do it all over again. And so they just had a lot of unhealth in their life. But here was the irony about these women. Because if you have ever cleaned a house, you know that that is a workout. And these women who were cleaning rooms hour after hour all day long were getting the expected workout regimen that the U.S. Surgeon General said was the daily recommended amount of exercise. But these women were not aware of that reality in their lives. And so here's what Crum did. She took these 84 women, she divided them into two groups, and she told them what the U.S. Surgeon General's daily requirements were for healthy activity. Then she dismissed one group, and then with the other group, she added this one extra bit of information. She let them know that the work that they were doing, cleaning hotel rooms day in and day out, met the requirements of what the U.S. Surgeon General said were the habits of healthy daily exercise. So one group was aware that they were meeting these daily requirements, and one group was unaware that they were meeting these daily requirements requirements. She left these women for four weeks and four weeks later returned, gave them normal physicals, and what she found was fascinating. To the group who was aware, whose mindset had been changed about the work that they were doing, they had lower blood pressure, they had weight loss, And they had lower hip-to-waist ratios. The group whose mindset had been changed had a different kind of life because of it. And what Dr. Crum points to in that study, I think, is something similar that Paul is pointing to us to this morning. And that is, our mindset makes a big difference in how we live. That what we set our minds upon will become what we build our lives upon. The way we think, the way we view the world shapes drastically the life that we live. And the question I kept pondering this week as I thought about this passage and I thought about this study and other studies that she had done like it was simply this. If If this one small change in mindset can make such a big 
difference in our physical lives, then how much more of a difference could it make in our spiritual lives? What might happen to the lives that we live if we set our minds on the things of the Spirit in intentional and purposeful ways? What kind of people would we be? What kind of church would we be if we as a body of believers decided that we were going to set our minds on the things of the Spirit day in and day out, regularly, on a weekly, monthly, yearly basis? What would our lives look like? Because our mindset matters a lot when it comes to physical life, but it also matters a lot when it comes to our spiritual lives. What we set our minds upon will become what we build our lives upon. The way that we think is going to shape the way that we live. And that's ultimately what this sermon's about. It's a sermon about how we live, the kinds of lives that we're living. It's a sermon entitled Spirit-Led Holiness. The implication is is that our lives, by the power of the Spirit, would become more holy in nature. Which, interestingly enough, is not a word that shows up in Romans 8 in our passage this morning. But the word holy is a word that shows up just a few chapters later in one of the most famous passages in all of Romans, Romans chapter 12, where Paul will pick up many of the themes that he starts to introduce in Romans chapter 8. And so many of us know those well-known words of Paul where he tells believers in Romans 12 to present their bodies as living sacrifices holy and pleasing to God. And in the very next verse, after talking about the kinds of lives that we live, he then says, be transformed by the renewing of your minds. For Paul, there is this direct relationship between how we think and how we live. For Paul, there is this direct relationship between the spirit in our life and the holiness in our life. Because that's ultimately what we want to know, right? What does a holy kind of life look like? What happens to my life if I set my mind on the things of the Spirit? What does it actually look like to live according to the Spirit? And so I can think of no better way to end this sermon than to take words directly from Paul in Romans 12, where I believe he holds up for us a picture, a glimpse of what this holy life led by the Spirit looks like. And I want to close with these words from Romans 12, verses 9 through 21 this morning, as a picture of what a holy life should look like. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal, be ardent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in suffering, persevere in prayer. 
contribute to the needs of the saints, extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That is a beautiful picture of a holy kind of life. And that passage, if you noticed, gleans a lot from the teachings and life of Jesus, which should give us insight into what it means to be led into holiness by the Spirit. That if our lives are to be led in holiness by the Spirit, our lives are always going to look more and more like Jesus. So this week, let's set our minds on the things of the Spirit so that we will live according to the Spirit. Because to set our minds on the flesh is death. But to set our minds on the Spirit is life.